We have been, as you know, for the, well, we started last week, this sermon series on Mark's gospel. You see the title right up there on the screen behind me. Immediately, the urgency of Jesus. Mark's gospel has this sense of urgency about it. What we'll discover as we move along is that that Mark is eager to have his readers make an intentional decision about who Jesus actually is. And he does this in various different ways, but but today we see it by this, um, this presentation of who is the community of God, who are the people of God. And he does it with this story in our gospel reading. And, and we're invited to consider what, who's in and who's out is really the simplest way to say it. And I think as we look at this passage, what we'll see is that the community of God centered on Jesus will both surprise us and radically redefine our closest relationships. Mark wants us to be surprised and convicted by this community And he wants to heighten our sense of urgency by recognizing that there is an inside and an outside to the people of God. And we're going to be surprised at how those lines are drawn. So I'd love for you to follow along with me this morning. We're in Mark's Gospel, beginning at chapter 3, verses um, 20 to 35. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, by all means, please pull it up. Uh, Follow along with me. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. And what we see now here in chapter 3 is that Jesus is being followed around Galilee by these huge crowds. They're attracted to his healing and his preaching ministry. They're coming from Judea and beyond to see and to hear this dynamic teacher. The first part of chapter 3, we see that Jesus has selected 12 apostles, and, and we hear the purpose of these men. They're to be sent out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Essentially, they're being sent out to do the things that Jesus was doing and to do them under his authority. And so I want you to picture the scene as we get to verse 20. Jesus and his closest friends have returned home to the house they were staying in, in Capernaum. And the Galilean crowds have found them. And the house is full, and the yard is full, and there's people looking in the window, and people on the roof, they all want to see this Jesus. They want to catch a glimpse of him and hear his teaching. And once we get to our passage, what we see is there's actually an inside and an outside to this community. There's the people who are there on the inside who are surrounding Jesus, and then there's, there's two groups of people, two surprising groups of people who by all accounts would be assumed to be on this inside part or actually on the outside. Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers, and the scribes from Jerusalem, these leaders, these religious leaders, very powerful men in the faith, We see his family and these scribes are actually on the outside. So first, Jesus' family. We see them first. They they catch word, right, of what Jesus is doing and teaching, and they're worried. Verses 20 to 21. 
The crowd gather again so that they could not even eat. Verse 21, when his family heard it, they went out to seize Jesus. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. They hear about his teaching and his healing and they think he's crazy. All of this teaching and casting out demons, this man has lost his mind. We have to go get him. Why? Are they concerned out of love for their son and their brother? Yes, probably. There's certainly an element of that. But the other element here is is also their own reputation in the community, right? This is a society that's built on shame and honor, and it would be a shame to the family to have a brother out there acting like Jesus is acting, a detriment to their status, to their business, a shame on his mother. We can't have that. And so they go to get him, right, and to bring him home to Nazareth. So we see Jesus' family outside of this community. Second group we see outside of this community of Jesus' followers are these scribes from Jerusalem. Along with the Pharisees, they represent the religious elite and powerful in Jesus' day. And they have heard, even in Jerusalem, in the, the upper echelons of the Jewish faith and leadership, they've heard of this itinerant rabbi in Galilee. And they've come out to the country And I don't believe they're there to hear what Jesus has to say or to consider who he is. I think they've already decided. And instead, they've come out to stir up trouble and doubt. Why? Well, they're concerned about their own power. They're concerned about their own authority and how quickly these things could be taken from them with this popular and upstart preacher. And so they come out to spread rumor and innuendo, to cast doubt in the minds of Jesus' followers and to break this thing up before it gets too big. They're threatened. And so the scribes challenge Jesus first. They begin to stir up these rumors there, verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by Satan, by the prince of demons, He cast out demons. They accused Jesus of being possessed by by Satan. And by Satan's power, Jesus is casting out Satan's demons. Now Jesus says, that doesn't make any sense. He debunks this claim immediately. How can Satan cast out Satan, right? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself... That house will not be able to stand. Satan cannot cast out his own demons. You're wrong. But Jesus is not content simply to debunk them. He's not content simply to to show that they're wrong and move on. He, He proceeds to challenge, to challenge the very assumptions that would bring them out to see him in the first place. You see, these crowd, these scribes were assuming. Their status in God's kingdom, their status as a member of God's chosen people. Surely, the scribes from Jerusalem, of all people, would be in the kingdom, right? But Jesus' response is actually that they, along with everyone else in this world, 
is, are actually bound to the house of Satan himself. Look at what Jesus says to them, and we'll unpack it a bit. Verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. You see what Jesus is doing here. The, the implication that Jesus is saying is, as someone has come to bind up the strong man and to plunder the goods from his house, someone has come to bind up Satan and to plunder the people that are under his power and his control. And so the reality is that this world, as Jesus comes into it, is under the power and control of Satan himself. And that Jesus has bound Satan. He's bound the strong men, and he's plundering the men and the women from their bondage. He's bringing them into the kingdom of God because they're not already there. And those who are in, those whose bondage has been broken, those are the ones whose sins are forgiven. Friends, this is not a matter of righteous living. It's not a matter of religious piety or personal holiness. These things cannot break the bonds. They cannot break the bonds of sin and death and Satan. Only the Son of God Himself, the suffering King, can bind Satan and can free and forgive the people of God. But Jesus goes on to say, and this is where he, he, he gets the, the Pharisees, with the, he gives them, gives them the dagger here. There are some who will not be forgiven. There's an unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you call the work of God, if you call the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan, you are blaspheming against the Spirit. You're saying that God's good work is evil. And Jesus said that is an unforgivable sin. Verse 29, whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And who is doing this? Verse 30, for they, the scribes, were saying, he has an unclean spirit. They said Jesus, the Spirit of God working in Jesus was Satan. And that's blasphemy. Surprise, the scribes are outside. Now, a quick aside. Some of you at this point might be wondering, oh, I hope I haven't done that. Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? This is not something you do and then you're like, oh, nuts, and it's too late. It doesn't work like that. This is a sin committed out of a stone-cold, hard heart. This is a sign of the status of your heart, a heart that is so cold and so hard that they cannot receive the work of God. And if you're asking, have I done that? Then the answer is no. Your heart is obviously cold, is warm enough to be concerned about that, warm enough to be willing to repent and come back to Christ. And, and so no, that doesn't apply to you. But that's what's happening here with the scribes. Those who are thought to be inside are outside. 
And so the first challenge came from the scribe. The second challenge, very quickly, comes from Jesus' ethnic biological family. So they hear about what's happening. They decide to go. And now here, verse 31, they've shown up. They've arrived at this house. Jesus is in the middle. Lots of people there on the outside. His mother, verse 31, his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, this is quite surprising. Even today, we place a high value on family, right? But, but how much more so in Jesus' day? Your biological family was so important. And we have a commandment about this, right? Honor your father and mother. And if we're going to understand this passage, we have to realize Jesus is not trying to debunk that. He's not trying to undermine that commandment. However, he is interested in redefining who our closest family actually is. And it's not our flesh and blood, but it's the community of God. It's the people of God. Those are our closest family. And so, yes, you can still have a high value on family, but our ultimate family is the family of God. And that's a hard thing to come to terms with. But here we have Jesus saying, who are my mother and brother? And he points to his family, his people and says, these, these God's family are my mother and my brothers. Now, thankfully, Jesus' family came into God's family, right? When Mary was standing there at the cross weeping for her son as he suffered, James was the pillar of the Jerusalem church in the book of Acts. They came into the family of God. But the family of God ultimately is those who do the will of God, mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. Just like the charge to the the 12 apostles earlier in this chapter, go out and preach and heal, go out and do the will of God because you are the family of God, you are the people of God. And so again, we are surprised the family of Jesus is outside of his community of faith. They're outside because they're not doing the will of God. So what are we going to do with this? Well, I think we need to recognize that there is an inside and an outside, and that's kind of uncomfortable for us, right? We don't, we don't like those sorts of boundaries, but, but there's, there's the kingdom of God and those who are in it and the, the, those who are outside of it and the kingdom of, of this world. And hopefully this reality will well up in us some urgency about our relationship with Jesus. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, I know four or five people who are outside, I hope they can come in, you're missing the point because it's about you. Where do you stand when these surprising lines are drawn? Most of us like to think we're going to be sitting in the house with Jesus or at least we're in the yard or or hanging off the roof trying to peek in the window. We come to church, right? We read our Bibles. We do the right things. We hang out with the right people. 
So many of us stand on the correct and proper side of our cultural battles. We fight the virtuous fight. And we're going to be surprised when we realize that the boundaries that we think are important, the boundaries that we think define inside and outside, are overturned by Jesus. The reality is, many of us are embarrassed by Jesus in some form or another. We're embarrassed by that challenging sexual ethic that He holds us to. We're embarrassed by His concern for the vulnerable, the the unborn, the handicapped, the poor, and the destitute. These are causes that are, you know, that that can be hard to deal with. That can be embarrassing, or, or we don't want to believe that about Jesus. And some of us might be challenged or threatened. Our way of life might be threatened by Jesus. This whole thing about the first shall be last and the last shall be first, or the idea that we're supposed to seek forgiveness and not revenge, pursuing peace and not violence, those are challenging and they can be threatening to our way of life. All of us, in many ways, are on the outside. And I do believe we might be surprised at who's on the inside. But here's the glory of the gospel. All of us are invited to come in. All of us are invited to have our sins forgiven, our blasphemies forgiven. All of us are invited to have our embarrassment and our fear cleansed. And it's my prayer as we consider Mark's gospel, as we consider the work of Jesus, as we consider His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might accept that invitation in, that we might welcome or be welcomed by Christ into His kingdom, that we might not worry so much about the boundaries that are being drawn and instead focus on faithfulness to Christ that we might know the glory and the love of Jesus through His death and His resurrection. Let us pray.